0: Welcome to Connected World, a podcast created for engineers to learn about the latest technology trends creating a safer, sustainable, productive, and connected future. Hello and welcome to Connected World, a podcast brought to you by TE Connectivity. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the program. We're thrilled to have you along with us. Today, we're discussing why the AMI market is moving from proprietary mesh to more cellular oriented solutions. And I have two subject matter experts joining me for this conversation as we dive into this particular world. First, we have Gordon Barber, Global Director of IoT and RF Solutions for TE Connectivity. Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Tyler. Much appreciated.
0: Absolutely thrilled to have you on, Gordon. And then also joining us here today is Nick Toluja. He's the Executive Vice President of Sales and Customer Support for Sequan's Communications. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me here,
0: Tyler. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to have both of you here on the show with us today as we dive into this topic, just looking at why the AMA market is moving away from proprietary mesh. And so um, we, uh, we introduced that topic there off the top, Gordon. Why did they go this direction in the first place? Uh, why did they start off using a proprietary mesh network? And what have been some of the challenges of using this particular network strategy?
1: Good question, Tyler, to kick us off, right? I mean, when you look back into the history
0: Frankly, it, it wasn't
1: feasible to have a kind of mobile network operator system at the time uh, that AMI was gaining traction. the The technologies weren't aligned. We we didn't have the the radios at the you know the end device level that were attractive enough in cost. We were maybe even at two G coming into three G. The idea of IoT from a mobile network operator. Perspective hadn't been well vetted. It hadn't got off the ground and but however, you know, mesh networking. That's that's a fairly old technology that that system has been around for a while. That kind of idea has been around for a while. It seemed reasonably straightforward to implement. I think when you when you think about the way these systems were carved out, uh, you know, as time has evolved, some of the challenges um, that have come out of that really point out to the advantages of having a mobile network operator as your provider of these systems. Uh, they can go anywhere from, hey, what is the cost associated with getting a system up and running if you do your own mesh network? What is the cost to maintain it over time? How do you expand in, in technology if you're constantly having to manage your own network? Are you now managing your, your own uh, you know technology evolution? All of these kind of things, in a sense, go away. Because now the, if you if you follow the mobile network operator approach, those kind of use cases or those kind of issues, they get absorbed. You know, there's a, a trade off, of course, right, you have to support the mobile network operator in terms of uh, their their needs. But on your side as a user or you know, a developer of meters or whatever the situation is, there's particular advantages by leveraging that.
0: And Nick, I, I wonder if we could follow up with you and, and get your thoughts on that as well.
2: You know, for me, it comes down as, and as rightfully so, Gordon pointed out, it comes down to economics, right? That's what it is. Let's, you know, take a step back and understand why we're going down the path of of these digital meters, if you will. So this thing really started in the early to mid 2000s, where you know people said, look, let's stop sending, uh, you know, uh, workers out to read meters. It would be great if we could just digitize those and be able to get the automated meter reading. But more than that, what has happened is people have learned that it's also you can, you can do things like remote disconnect. you can do things like load curtailment. You can you can talk about energy management. and there's a slew of additional services and things that can be offered by the digitization of AMI. Gordon's 100% right. When the digitization of this began, you know we were talking about 2G 3G networks and, and, and I'll put some some numbers behind this just so you understand from a hardware module standpoint, if you will, a 2G, 3G module back in the 2000s when this digitization started occurring, were costing somewhere in the range of 75 to $100. Imagine putting that into a meter just to be able to read it remotely when the meter itself costs less than $200, if you will the cost was completely prohibitive just from the hardware standpoint. The second point of it, which which Gordon also kind of alluded to, was the fact that the operator data plans were just not there. They were just too damn expensive at that point in time. And so you can say the all this was really in the infancy stages, if you will. And so obviously these companies were, were compelled really to choose a cheaper alternative which really was was the proprietary mesh. So while doing this, they created their own networks, if you will. So you'd have multiple meters connected to each other talking to each other. And then when they needed to get out to the cloud, they'd have a gateway installed. And so multiple meters would aggregate into a single gateway, which would have a cellular connection to send the data up to the cloud. So basically what you did, you you took the cost of physical labor out, but then you started putting the cost of the network in. So all the utilities and the AMI companies had to go out and maintain these networks. And that became very cumbersome. So the challenge really is, when you have a network that already exists, you can use that very easily than having to maintain your own network. So I would say the biggest challenge has been the network maintenance aspect Especially since a lot of advancement has now been made in the field of cellular communications that basically makes the proprietary mesh obsolete. So the problems of the past are no longer the problems of the present.
0: That's a really interesting perspective that you you provide there, specifically on the economics there, there, Nick. And I wonder then, uh, from a technology perspective, what advantages are are now provided by moving from mesh to cellular networks? Like you were mentioning, um, not having to maintain your own network is certainly one, but but technology has certainly evolved in that time, right? Uh, Which provides certain advantages to to moving towards the, the cellular networks.
2: Indeed, I mean, as I as I alluded to earlier, right, I mean, over the 15 plus years or 20 plus years uh, that we've uh, seen this technology, I mean, cellular technology has matured very, very significantly. In um, 3GPP, 3GPP, by the way, is the, is the body that is actually defining the standardization of cellular, if you will, there is today a lot of emphasis that is placed on the internet of things. If you go back 20 years, Uh, there was no emphasis on Internet of Things. It was basically the Internet of People, how to connect people. Today, a lot more emphasis is being placed on actually being able to connect things. And with that comes a lot of benefits that, that you're seeing. So again, comes back to economics, as we said, you know, cellular modules that used to be $75 10 years ago. Today, those modules, if you will, you can get about a tenth of the price basically $7.50. In 2G, 3G networks, we did not have the concept of a meter coming on once a day to, to give you a data readout. Basically, if you put a cellular uh, module or cellular modem in the meter, it was coming on every 1.28 seconds. And If you have a meter that's connected with a battery, for, for example, <laughs> That meter is going to die really fast, or you're going to have to put a very, very large battery on it. So, the concept of what we call EDRX or extended DRX and PSM power save mode in cellular have specifically been implemented for IoT devices, specifically to reduce the power consumption. So, devices in the past for example, on 2G, 3G networks that dissipated about 100 microamps of power in standby mode, today I can tell you some of the devices we're shipping actually dissipate one microamp of power in power save mode. And this is very beneficial to to gas and water meters where they actually do run on batteries. And technology itself, the operators also have done their part, for example, in parts of Europe, just recently, I was reading, there's, there's, a, there's a European operator that is talking about a 10-year data plan for $10. That's basically a dollar a year in terms of data plans for some of these IoT devices. So that means the cost that you had of maintaining your own infrastructure based on all these things of lower power, lower cost, and lower data plans is no longer economically feasible. So in summary, Uh, The advantage of moving from mesh to cellular really boils down to the total lower cost of ownership and the ability, I I would say, to scale the technology, to take advantage of the techniques developed specifically for IoT applications like AMI. Nick really summarized that well. And, And the
1: only point really to emphasize is that When you look back, I think at this meshing technology wasn't necessarily meant to service the needs that we have here. You know, as an example, in the meshing side, you need a fairly robust network, a fairly large physical size number of nodes to make that attractive before you deploy that. And here now we're talking about, you know, battery life of 10 years on a device, low cost of ownership, like Nick noted in terms of, You know, what does it cost for you to send this data? And it really doesn't matter the network size as long as you have access to the network now. So, I mean, it's just what we're talking about is moving from a a system that was adopted to handle this need to now a system that's really designed specifically for these needs.
0: That's interesting. So it, it does sound like we are... We're pretty positive towards cellular networks at this point. But, but Gordon, I do wonder, are there still challenges presented by cellular networks that need to be uh, overcome or, or, or kind of worked with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a couple of challenges. One first, again, Nick touched on it or we alluded to. There's a cost of ownership. There's a cost of the data. And if you don't have to pay for the data, if you can leverage a mesh network, and you could deploy a mesh network in a in a meth, you know in a way that you were was acceptable to you. Then hey, you don't have to, pa- to pay to access the data all the time. So the plan's coming down, ten dollars for ten years as an example. That's extremely attractive. Then maybe a little bit on the technical side. Of course, I think we're all familiar with this kind of fading environment where you you may or may not have a signal in in your you know with your mobile handset. Think about way some of these meters are deployed whether they're outside or whether they're water meters or whether they're indoors in your basement there's connectivity connections there as well so there can be times certainly you know i can think that there certainly would be examples of hey you may or may not get a connection here and you have to be able to deal with that one way or the other a potential way to
2: deal with that is to have a mesh system. I would compliment that, Tyler, by, by saying that obviously the coverage aspect that Gordon hints on is, is definitely, it's improving, right? I mean, the if you look at what the operators have done, they've done a phenomenal job in, in getting cellular coverage to even the remote parts of the world. I mean, I can tell you personally, I was in a town very close to the north end of Idaho and we were doing some testing and I can tell you, we could find coverage in a farm up in Idaho. So, there, the, the coverage has become very, very good in terms of where it is, but there will always be areas where you will have these problems. So just like Gordon suggested, we believe there is at least a little while where mesh and cellular will need to continue to coexist in order to have that hop to go into um, uh, the cellular end. But more than proprietary mesh, I think I would like to say that You know, there is an area of open mesh that is coming on. We have technologies like Wysun, as an example, which are coming on board, which can offer a very good alternative to proprietary mesh. So the coverage is one aspect that Gordon talked about. I'll talk about a second aspect on my side, which I think is also a challenge, uh, and Gordon hinted it, but, you know, some of these metering companies are talking about 10-, 15-, 20-year lifetimes. And what they expect and what they demand is the products in turn also offer the similar amount of lifetimes. They're demanding from us that products can live in the field for 15, 20 years, that there's enough reliability work done to guarantee and assure them of that. But also they're looking to the operators, asking the same questions. Can you give me coverage uh, on LTE or on 2G, 3G for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So there's a lot of discussions ongoing between the utilities and the operators. And I can't tell you where those discussions are today because I honestly don't know, but what I hear is the discussions are are moving in a very positive direction and that operators are willing to step in and support the utilities in in providing these so-called service assurances over time.
0: That's really interesting. And so I I wanna hear more about how each of your companies are, are are making all of this possible. And so Nick, from, from your perspective at Sequans, how are companies like TE and Sequans helping this transition uh, move forward from mesh to cellular?
2: I can summarize this into two broad categories, okay? Uh, so let me start by saying these two are, are capability, experience, which I'll call really a category, and, and then the solution. So let's start with capability and experience as the first step, so Sequans. Is a company that is not just developing the modules, you know, uh, but we're actually developing the underlying chips that go with it. We're doing the complete uh, solution from a module and chipset perspective. And if there's one word I can use that sets us apart, and in, in terms of all this, is our ability to customize the solution for the AMI market. We know, you know, most cellular modems, modules, everything. Are designed for applications that sell in multi, multi, multi millions of units, and and even some that sell in billions of units. And so everybody's focusing on those areas, which means they starve the other areas. So we can actually step in and customize our, because of our 100% ownership of the entire solution from a module, LTE module perspective, we can actually customize that. We've been shipping uh, for more than five years into the AMI market. We have significant amount of experience. We've actually shipped more than three million uh, plus cellular IoT chips into the AMI market, and actually we've learned a lot. And some of these learnings have been incorporated into the products that we're offering today. The second part, which which I talked about, was was the solution aspect. So we know as a company that we cannot do it all. Uh, we know that. So having partnerships and working with companies to deliver a complete solution for the metering environment is critical in helping make this transition faster, easier, better for these companies. So I'll give you a few examples. So for example, um, recently we partnered with, the, uh, with with Renaissance as an example. Renaissance is a company that is actually selling YSUN solutions already into the AMI market, which is the open mesh technology I alluded to earlier. So we partnered with them and we're working with them to create a solution around that such that companies can adopt that solution and go to market faster. Then obviously, meters, you know, are put in basements. They're buried, sometimes buried uh, underground, which means the signal really needs to get out. So what's very important there is the antenna design. So this leads into probably Gordon and what he's going to talk about later, but really partnering with, with antenna companies like TE becomes very, very critical such that the, 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 the module and the antenna are working hand-in-hand hand and, and, and really being able to give that signal to the customer that is that is required. The third example in partnership really is the work we've been doing with Skyworks. Gas meters, because gas is orderless, as an example, they actually induce sulfur in the gas so you can smell it, which is very important because gas is very fl- flammable, if you will. And sulfur reacts adversely with silver, and silver is found in all semiconductor chips and modules. The shield on the module is actually made of silver. So we worked with Skyworks to create a module that is silver-free. And what that does is we talked about that 15, 20-year lifetime that that companies were demanding from us the problem is if you have put that in a gas meter the sulfur is going to react and corrode the the, the silver on the module so we actually created a silver free compound with Skyworks that actually we've been able to take to the market for gas and water meters and by the way I can keep going on but the same stuff also applies on the software side. So we've actually designed into our chips things like cloud connectors, right? So it connects directly to AWS, to Azure, to Google Cloud, or to any proprietary cloud so that the customer's work is simplified. We're also at this point doing something very, uh, we're defining a very, what what do I call it, a well-defined interface between the meters firmware and the modules that actually enable easy evolution of the module without having to update the meters firmware, if you will. So all this stuff that we're doing together, and the innovations and the partnerships, are helping the AMI companies with their transition.
0: And Gordon, you you heard uh, you heard Nick uh, kind of almost tee you up a little bit to talk a little <laughs> bit more about the yeah. antenna side. I was wondering if you could uh, take it away and uh, and share your expertise and your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I can talk. Uh, you know, from sing- similar perspectives as well, Tyler. Right. So there's there's the partnership level as, and so to reinforce what Nick was suggesting. The partnership between a sequins and a TE from the antenna perspective is very important. Because what happens is when we integrate an RF solution into a product, the area that the product is placed and the product itself significantly impacts the potential performance. We can take an antenna as an example in radio combination that we put an environment which we might call as free space or open area and it works perfectly. We take that same solution and integrate it into a meter, which has plastic, metal, components, attaches to a side of a house or in a basement or you know, in a in a water well in some cases. And RF doesn't perform at all. Either the environment constrains it, meaning the outside of the meter, or the meter itself degrades the antenna performance so significantly that it essentially doesn't work. So it's very important for the metering companies to partner with a group of players like Sequans and TE that is going to facilitate the insight into the solution to prove that it's performing the way that you want. Now, what's going to happen is, in reality, a Saquon's and a TE, they may be working together for a customer. The customer may turn to us and say, we want the radio to be placed here, we want the antennas to be placed here, our industrial design looks like this. We may take that design in, we may start to integrate the antennas and adjust our platform solutions or create a full-blown custom antenna to meet the need. Now we can measure from a typical kind of antenna performance perspective, but T as a supplier can additionally take the entire assembly and test it from a more complex, active RF approach. And we would measure what we call total radiated power or total isotropic sensitivity, which would be a transmit test and a receive test. Basically, this is an active test that tells us, how does this solution perform on the mobile network operator's network? And there'll be certain metrics that will tell you whether you've met a threshold or not that will give you an indication, what quality of service should I expect out of this solution? What challenges might I have if I integrate this into, say, uh, either outdoors or in a basement? Am I near the signal to noise ratio cutoff? Do I have 20 dB of room? And when I put this in a basement, I'm not gonna have an impact so when you partner you can not only understand hey what is the antenna going to perform like or what is the radio going to perform like you'll understand what is the whole rf chain what implications does my industrial design have on the solution do i have to change does the supplier have the uh, room or or physical volume to place the solution in or do we need to make changes there are a lot of things that happen here and when Companies partner with us. We can shed that insight quickly and get to the root of any problems quickly, instead of later, which can, of course, be painful.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That 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 makes a lot of sense. And so, uh, I I guess, I guess, my question then becomes: How far into this transition are we, then, guys? Uh, You know, if, if this is kind of the direction. If this is the direction that things are moving in, uh, where are we right now uh, when, when it comes to uh, to making that transition from that proprietary mesh network over to uh, a, a cellular uh, strategy? So uh, Gordon, uh, just where are we in terms of, uh, of of what the numbers are telling you?
2: You know, we've we, we, as I said, we spent a lot of time in this market and we understand it inside out. We uh, To summarize, I think we're just, Scratching the surface at this point in time. So, if you look at uh, some of the data, and and I'm going to talk about metrics a little bit, if you look at some of the data that is provided by companies like ABI, as an example, you know, in in 2017 alone, there were approximately 15 million, 16 million cellular connected meters. And, And of that, roughly a third were connected on 4G two-thirds were still connected on 2G, 3G technologies, which, by the way, are sunsetting. So, um, you know, 2G is already dead in the United States, as an example. Uh, It still exists in many other parts of the world, but 3G is going to be completely dead next year in the United States. So everything has to transition over to 4G. But if you look, a third of 15 million meters were connected on 4G. Now, The worldwide metering market, you know, we hear all kinds of numbers uh, all over the map. So I'm not going to try to put uh, an estimate on that, but I will give you an estimate of the size of the U.S. metering market. So the U.S. metering market, and we know this extremely well, is alone about 94 million meters. So when I talked about 15 million connected meters, I was talking about the worldwide market. When I'm talking about 94 million, I'm talking about just the US total metering market, if you will, that is not cellular connected. And we believe all this is going to actually transition over to cellular connection over the next 5, 10, 15 years. If you again go back to ABI and look at the what they're expecting, uh, they expect that by 2024, there will be approximately 55, 60 million cellular connected meters worldwide, and about 97% of those will be connected on 4G. So that means, you know, most of them will be connected on 4G LTE, the technology we're, we're talking about. And we believe that this number could very well exceed 200 million cellular connected meters per year being deployed by the year 2030. A very substantial market, if you will, in terms of growth. And we've just started scratching the surface of what this would be like for for cellular connected meters.
0: That's really interesting. And, you know, as you mentioned, just the, the number of people and the, the number of modules and, and all of the various statistics surrounding this particular topic, I, it does make me wonder, aren't there areas where cellular um, where, where cellular isn't quite available at this point? And if so, are there solutions available in those particular cases that will work better for that particular aspect of the population? Nick, this this might be another question that, that I toss your way, uh, at least just to, to get us started.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, while the, again, I come back to while the operators have, you know, done a phenomenal job in, 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 in their network deployments, there will be spots that'll take a bit more time to cover, right? Um, and, and, and by the way, the cost of deploying uh, this infrastructure, uh, you've seen in some of the uh, uh, things, you, you hear all the spectrum that is being bought for billions and billions of dollars you can understand the cost of actually first buying the Spectrum and then deploying it. So, but overall, I would tell you in most of the world today, there is very, very good coverage in terms of cellular deployment, but there will be those cases where we believe that customers will continue to need point-to-point and ad hoc networks that can help in the cases of where you're at the very edge of the cellular network. So a meter, which is basically just outside the coverage, or just outside the coverage of the, of the cell uh, would connect to another meter via this point-to-point mesh. Uh, we talked about Wysun earlier, so that's an example of a point-to-point mesh system. And that meter then would be able to relay the signal out because it is within the cell of the network. So while we expect these cases to be rarer and rarer over time, Tyler, what we're seeing is mesh is not going to be obsoleted overnight. We have customers looking at LTE plus mesh-based solutions today, and that's predominantly to take care of, of issues like this. And then over time, we expect that the mesh part of it will continue to go down and eventually, uh, hopefully, be eliminated at a certain point in time. You know, I think Nick's point
1: about the mesh, the way the mesh network in the future could get set up, it is an important point to take. Right? It's not a, it's not the same mesh network the way we think about it now. In a sense, where we have this collector, we have to manage, uh, you know, a, a collector station, a kind of base station in a sense, or a gateway. I think the way Nick needed it, noted it before. Even from uh, the perspective of how is the technology working, even these mesh networks of the future that would have this integrated mobile network operator functionality and connectivity as well, they're simpler, right? And they they offset and they can help um, they they can help facilitate even the mobile network operator solutions themselves by making sure there's a fallback. So it's very attractive solution that Nick was describing in the interim. Until we have this uh, this network coverage that is, uh, you know, foolproof from every every angle everywhere.
0: Well, guys, we've covered a uh, a lot of ground here today. And I know that there's probably so much more that we could discuss here on the podcast. But as we begin to wrap up this episode and tie a bow on to the end of it, uh, I was wondering if we could get some, some conclusions, some closing thoughts from each of you just on this topic of the migration from uh, uh, from a proprietary mesh network uh, over to cellular networks. Um, so, Gordon, let me kick it over to you first just for any closing thoughts you have, any, any summary statements or anything we haven't discussed yet here on the podcast you want to make sure that, uh, that we mention before we wrap up. Thanks. I think just in summary
1: that, you know, when you look at companies like Saquon's and TE, you need experts in the field to bring this technology to life for you. Please depend on us and come to us uh, with your problems and your needs, your pain points, and we're happy to step in and solve
2: those for you. That's what we're here for.
0: And Nick, uh, yeah, any closing thoughts? Any any final things you want to leave our uh, our listeners here with?
2: You know, when when thinking of the transition to cellular, there are lots and lots of considerations that we discussed. Right? There's power. There's cost. There's antenna. There's design. There's by the way. There's things like operator certifications, firmware updates, harsh environments. I mean, I can go on. There's there's a list that can really confuse the hell out of any customer. So the main thing I would say is choose the right partner partners like TE and Sequans, who actually understand the environment, have the experience, and actually focused in the IoT industry because that is the only way to ensure long-term success.
0: Very, very excellent stuff, uh, Gordon Barber and Nick Taluja, guys. Thank you so much for for joining the podcast today and sharing your expertise and your thoughts with us here. Um, just on, on this particular topic, I know that there are so many layers to it, and a lot that we could have uh, a lot more things we could have uh, dove into. But uh, but I appreciate your time today, and I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thank you, Tyler absolutely and everyone thank you for tuning into this episode of connected world a podcast brought to you by the experts at te connectivity we appreciate you joining us here today very very much of course uh, make sure you go subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify to stay up to date with the latest from te connectivity you can find more podcasts just like this one there on that particular channel if you subscribe you'll get the latest episodes right there on uh, whatever podcast platform you prefer and stay tuned we'll be back soon with more podcast episodes coming at you shortly but for this one today for my guests gordon and nick i've been your host today tyler kern thanks so much for listening